You're listening to Down of the Frame Podcast. Seems like the opening of some bad action film. Oh. Oh, dude, that agitation's working for it. Look at how brown that is, dude. We've received a call from the engine shop. It's mixed news. It's gotta be high enough. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <Hit> it. <laughs> you just need a good cleaning. I think it's perfect. Well, it's not perfect, but it might work. The rush is immediately attracted to the Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the sound. That's a sound, dude. That's like a thing, though. Hi, Dark the Frame. Without further ado, let's get down to the frame. Welcome to the very first episode of the Down to the Frame podcast. Hip, hip, down to the frame. <laughs> <laughs> I got my co-host with me, Jacques. Whoa. Today's episode is actually an re- episode that we recorded originally and posted originally on our other podcast called Small Stock Podcast. Check it out. A lot of great general life topics over there. But it was about our value, and we thought it would be the ideal first episode because of how much I am obsessed with talking about our value. (laughs) So without further ado, let's get into the episode and get down to the frame. If you know me, I talk a lot about our value. Mm -hmm. What is our value? Our value is it's a rating for defining how well an insulation performs, an insulation being... Uh, a thermal insulation like fiberglass insulation for a home, right? Or foam insulation like spray foam. Mm-hmm. Now, if you guys aren't interested in this type of stuff, well, you're going to have to jump to a different podcast because I'm deep diving into all of the knowledge that I have and why it matters in today's society uh, more so than people think. Like some people will look at our value and be like, stop talking about it. I don't care. Like It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't apply to me. Right. But I'm going to go through exactly why it applies to you and how it can improve your quality of life, reduce your expenses, better for the environment. And, you know, it's just fun to do. It's honestly just fun to do. So, all right. I guess where where should we start? Where do people, I guess we could talk about probably the different types of insulation. Yeah, we could do that. Well, let's talk about the state of homes in America. (laughs) Okay, just a the state just of the brief, union for insulation. Yeah, yeah, just a brief summary. Okay, America sucks. They suck at building. We're slow and we don't build quality stuff. And most American homes, especially in the North, are not up to modern standards when it comes to our value or home performance. Right? We've been using kind of the same building methods for like since like the seventies or 60s or 70s, right? You just, you have balloons, stick frame house, you know, the two by fours, 12 inches on center, and you put some sheathing, some plywood on the outside, and you throw some fiberglass bats in and some drywall, and you're done. Mm -hmm. That is trash. (laughs) Like, it just, I mean, it's better than nothing. It's better than probably a shed would be, right? But it's not, not what people want, and it's not the standard that we can build to for almost the same price now why does that matter uh do you remember like your parents are like we're not turning on the heat go put a sweatshirt on and it's like 65 degrees in the house you're like what that what is going why why can't i put the heat up and it's because probably you're living in a house that either a is just super leaky like air leakage that's another factor of kind of our value um and it's just cold. So basically when you turn the heat on, it stays for like five minutes and then just floats out to the world, out to the cold, negative 10 degree temperature in New England. 
and you're like, what the? I mean, can you remember a time when you were freezing cold and you couldn't do anything about it? Mm-hmm. Every, ev every day in this old ass house that I live in. Yeah. What? What? When was your house built? 1880s. All right. Well, they didn't even know what building science was <laughs> back then. No. But I mean, there. This house. I want to do like a leak down test. Like fill the house full of smoke and just see like where all the all the leaks are coming from in this house. I yeah. imagine it's just everywhere. Yeah. That te the technical term for that in the building industry because leak down is kind of like a car term. Mm-hmm. Is a blower door test. A, bl a blower door test? Yeah, a blower door. So they'll close all your windows and doors and they'll go uh -huh. to your like front door and they put this like canvas, almost like what you'd see in those backyard blow up like jump houses. Okay. They put that on the door and they tape yeah. it and they put a fan there that has a meter on it and they'll see how much air is moving from the outside to the inside correlated with time. So Interesting. So they'll uh, overpressurize the home. Or attempt to. Attempt to. Or or I guess you could do it the opposite way too. You could put a vacuum on the home and see how much air is coming out of the house. But the principle is that you're measuring the transfer of air between the inside of the sealed home, quote unquote sealed home, and the outside. And then they, they will give you like, okay, you have uh, 10 air changes per hour, meaning every hour the ha air in the house is exchanged 10 times. So every six minutes it's air exchanged yeah that's like okay it's, does that seem like a lot to you only 10 times like well i believe that building code these days if you were to get a blower door test is below five air changes per hour and i bet you most homes like i've worked on my parents duplex and i'm putting in the puck lights right i'll drill into the ceiling dude i'll feel airflow coming from the ceiling that's, that's weird yeah, that's not good. That means there's a lot of air moving through the framing. You shouldn't feel that. You shouldn't feel like a gust of wind come from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's good for keeping the house alive, right? Because it's dry. If there's ever moisture problems, it just dries it out because there's a lot of air change. Which is why, like your 1980s home is probably still standing because there's so much air exchange. That 1880s. The, what did I say? 1980s. Oh, 1880s. Sorry, At 100 years on home. top of that. Bitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your 100-year-old home is still standing because anytime it got the wood got wet, it was able to dry and not rot. Mm -hmm. it, my parents' house was built in the 1980s, and it has that sort of air exchange. So it hasn't really gotten better. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? Okay, Americans are paying. I mean, I don't know if everybody's heard, but this year is set to be the highest fuel prices in America in a long time. Right, so you're going to be spending. Well, what sucks is most American homes are heated by uh, natural gas, propane, or oil. So if gas goes up, heating costs go up, which means you're not going to want to spend more, or you're going to spend more and you can do less with your money, or you're going to end up being cold all winter because of heating costs. And most heating, like f gas heaters, are like I don't know, seventy-five percent to like ninety percent efficient. And you're like, well, great. Well, that's that sucks, right? So that's why, in general, R value matters. Let's dive into R value a little bit more. So R value is the rating of an insulation. It's like a lab. They bring insulation into a lab and they measure it in a box that doesn't have any airflow, but they basically put a heat lamp on one side and see how long it takes for the heat to transfer to the other side of this box in between the insulation, right? Mm -hmm. Well, because there's no air changing around there, you get kind of some skewed numbers, right? Like I just talked to you about how air constantly travels through older homes 
So you'll have like an R10 insulation, like bat, fiberglass bat insulation, which, you know, that pink stuff that makes you itchy. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll say that's R10, right? And you're like, great. I needed R10 to meet code. And it's, you know, cheaper than getting spray foam, which is one inch of that is, or two inches of that is R10. It, you know, it's, it's one tenth the cost for fiberglass bat than it is spray foam. Well, once you put that fiberglass bat in the field, the R value drops to like 20% or third. I, I don't know. These aren't actual accurate percentages, but basically 20% of what it was measured in the lab because of there's so much air change going through the house. So, and that's how most American homes are built. It's not even like code's a joke. It doesn't even actually make sure homes are built the way they should be. I think it's getting better, but you know, kind of like cigarettes and oil. All, like the fiberglass industry, big fiberglass, I guess you'd say, <laughs> big glass. Yeah, big <laughs> BG, big, big glass. Yeah, you know, they're lobbying to keep the codes and testing parameters the same because they benefit from that. Mm -hmm. But there is a way that they can use their insulation and it be effective, and that is by building tighter homes, building homes better. But the benefit of that is you pay less, right? Your home, you don't have to hear mom and dad be like, we can't turn on the heat because it's blowing money out the window, basically. An airtight home with good R value, you're going to spend less. You know, you'll spend like $1,000 a year less. And that's also less emissions in America, right? Mm -hmm. So there's those benefits of it. But then also you're more comfortable. There's also challenges like, associated with tight homes too, though, right? Like there are. humidity like, control, moisture control. Right. Yeah. So if you want to look at a house and be like, oh, our value is the only thing that matters. It's not. Our value is part of a system. A home is an ecosystem, a mini ecosystem that you need to make sure is balanced. So if you make a home that was built and has been living, like your, 19, or your 1880s home, mm -hmm. has been living with super leaky uh, envelope, and then you end up somehow, whether it be spray foaming all the windows or maybe you... I don't know, cocked all the cracks, you know what I mean? Like whatever way it is, you're altering the ecosystem. So now if you don't compensate by bringing in air mechanically, then you got all this moisture starts to build up, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts, you start getting like stale air and you know, you're like, what, why, why is there mold growing in my house? Well, <laughs> and why because, are my windows constantly wet? Exactly. Like a big one that I've had in my house is, yeah, my window was like raining in the wintertime because my house was built in the 1940s and they put a bunch of spray foam in which, closed cell spray foam, which vapor cannot travel through uh, upstairs. So all the vapor from the unconditioned basement that I have, which is just a dirt floor, there's no vapor barrier, it travels up through the house and then reaches the roof and it can't escape because there's spray foam. So we have a dehumidifier going now constantly to, to pull that moisture out of the house. But if you don't have something like that, it's just going to start to rot the wood. You're going to start getting mold problems. Which is no bueno. But if you But if you end up having to mechanically pull in air, there's a lot of benefits with that too. Because you can control and condition that air as it's coming in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, speaking from an, an, like an energy standpoint, they have... Uh, heat recovery ventilators or energy recovery ventilators which is like a honeycomb membrane in which the two the outside stream of air coming in and meets the inside stream of air going out and they exchange 
moisture and it's like a it is a membrane so they go through and this membrane transfers heat to the cold air that's coming in and transfers moisture from the cold air into the exhaust air so you are reducing the humidity from the incoming air and increasing the heat so some of the heat that you paid for already is getting put back into your system as opposed to being vented out mm. Really cool stuff. But yeah, you need something like that or like I, I have my humidifier or dehumidifier going um, to pull some of that moisture out. You need something like that if you make your house too airtight. Also, you need to breathe, right? You need to breathe. If you're making these houses super airtight, a big risk that people don't even think about is uh, VOCs, volatile organic compounds. Mm-hmm. And those are released from pretty much anything that has is manufactured by humans like a lot of rubbers plastics which is like 90 percent of what we bring into our homes right it, it is released any sort of paints stuff like that like some have vocs like that mm -hmm. uh that stuff is released and it's not a huge worry because those those vocs are typically controlled to safe levels but safe levels to what current homes are being built at if you're not exchanging air, your home, let's say your home's at an air exchange of one per hour instead of 10, then, well, you have all these VOCs stuck in your house and you're just like breathing them in, breathing them out, breathing them in, breathing them out. That's not good. And a lot of people don't open their windows. Like if you have a house that's airtight that doesn't have uh, energy or just like fresh air coming in in some manner that's controlled, you got to open your windows sometimes. Let that fresh air in. I know some people have like dehumidifiers and air purifiers going. Mm -hmm. but you have to take that cost of like yeah you are going to have to recondition that air with those systems but that's fresh air right not everybody can be jonah and have their house full of plants and maintain all that to bring in proper oxygen right mm -hmm. like that that takes a special kind of person that loves that that horticulture style you know so we don't have anything putting oxygen back into our house unless we bring it in but the benefit of having the airtight house on top of the fact that you're not losing the heat through the cracks uh, well the, also the air quality we didn't even talk about air quality you're not like you said earlier you're controlling the air that comes in which means you can filter it properly filter it uh, and condition it and all that stuff which is great so the air quality just goes up if you have it properly maintained mm -hmm. whereas with your 1880s home the way that that air is coming into the house is through the walls which you know that has just dust and rat poop and everything that it's you know mixing with and it's getting pulled through fiberglass insulation and then that's your filter and it comes into the home mm -hmm. that's not the best air you want to not be breathing. ideal yeah, not no, not ideal sure. <laughs> not ideal at all so so you can control the air quality but you're now almost if you go with a tight house and you use well let's step back the way to get a tight house is by using either some sort of sheathing that has an air barrier on it like a rubber coating and then you tape the seams of each plywood panel and you use all sorts of like caulking and stuff like that on the exterior of the house mm -hmm. so that so that that doesn't let any moisture in doesn't let any air in and you can do it that way but what if you're in an 1880s home you don't want to go outside and rip off all this beautiful siding that you might want to keep because it's victorian or rip off all the beautiful hardwood that they use for siding uh, or for sheathing. What if you don't want to do that? Well, I mentioned spray foam earlier, which is my favorite. And spray foam's kind of like, there's a lot of pros and cons to it. But if you want to like air seal your house, that's 1880s, that only has two by four exterior wall constructions instead of two by six 
you can use spray foam because spray foam closed cell acts as a couple things. It acts as insulation because in the spray foam, it's a bunch of little micro bubbles and spray foam typically on like a commercial application, it uses two parts. It uses like a catalyst and then like the actual product that you see at the end and they mix together and they have a chemical reaction of expands. It's very like cool to watch and, and it makes all these micro bubbles, which makes, and these micro bubbles don't have any access to fall or to air from the outside or the inside. Nothing can move through it. So that, that, that air and gas is trapped in there forever, which makes it a really, really good insulator because you don't have to worry about airflow anymore. So you open up the inside walls of your home, you spray this in there and it seals all the cracks gives you the highest R value per inch of any other material that you can imagine, and then acts as a vapor barrier too. So in if you do four inches, I think in New England, you don't need that plastic sheeting or the facing that you, the paper facing that you see on the fiberglass. Mm -hmm. You don't need that because the foam itself acts as your vapor barrier. So you're not gonna get condensation in your walls because there's no hot, moist air from inside mixing with the cold air from the outside in your wall cavity. And that's where you're gonna get that condensation. So you spray this in and your whole house turns into an airtight home. And I, people at that point are like, good, I'm done. But they don't put the mechanical systems in. They don't spend the time to, to start bringing air back into the home, which is why you hear a lot of people say you don't want an airtight house. It's because people don't know how to build an airtight house. Houses don't need to breathe in the traditional sense of you need to let uncontrolled air into your wall cavities, but they do need to breathe in the sense that you're bringing in freshened mechanical air. Now, if once you spray that foam in, there's actually one other really cool thing about spray foam that I love, closed cell specifically, is it's a hard foam. So it actually acts as a glue and a semi-structural component to your home. So if you have like a really tall house, like I think your house is pretty tall, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if you feel it, probably not. Your house is probably built like pretty sturdy, but I don't know if you ever feel it move in the wind a little bit. So not this house, but I I was in another house in Lynn that was like three stories tall. Yeah. And when it would be windy, it would sh it would the house would sway. Yeah. Like, and that's okay to some fuck degree. Like this. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to some degree to have some sway. Yeah. But imagine opening like taking this rickety little stick house, right, and then spraying a bunch of glue on it. It's mm -hmm. gonna make it rigid. So you lock all those two by fours together, you lock the sheathing together and it acts as this like, it makes the house one monolithic structure. So you, you get this nice firm house, which I love. I think that's a great component to it. And um, also soundproofing because you're not letting sound travels through air. So if you have a lot of air leakage in your house, you're gonna hear a lot more. And that's actually how I hunt for leaks in my house. I'll either use my hands to feel if there's like cold air. I'll use a thermal camera that my girlfriend got me. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, or listen, if you can hear like, you're like, wow, you know, that window sounds like it's wide open when a car drives by. Chances are they didn't use spray foam around the frame of the window and you have noise coming through that window. So, and that's one way I'll go around and try to increase the efficiency of a home. I mean, literally in my parents' home, I did that in my mom's office and I found a literal beehive, <laughs> an inactive beehive in between the framing of the home uh. and the window. I was like, how do you even get in there? And now her that room for her stays warm like all the time. Like her feet are less cold. She can control the climate more. And so that's where America needs to head, 
right? The, the long story short is, I mean, we kind of touched on, we touched on air quality, we touched on energy efficiency, we touched on comfort, right? Obviously, you don't want to be sitting next to a window that's leaking, right? If your couch is backed up against a window, it's cold. You don't want to feel that. So you want to make sure that, you know, your walls are insulated properly so that you're not sitting in one corner of your room freezing cold while the other side of it's warm. You're keeping everything even so you use less heat. It's kind of like, have you ever used really, really good headphones versus really poor headphones? Mm-hmm. Do you notice that you kind of have to crank, you you turn, you turn tend to turn crappier headphones up more to like get the feeling of the music better? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, I need to turn this up more. Well, maybe you don't notice that. That's something I notice I do. But if you have higher quality headphones, you don't actually need to turn them up as much because the... The clarity in which you're hearing the music. The richness. The richness. There's more data there. There's more information. Allows you to enjoy that feeling that you're looking for without as much volume. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like what a house is, right? The more quality the home is, the more you can enjoy the home with less expenses. And that's huge. There's a health factor to it, too. Like, my mom has MS, which... I mean, she has MS, she has asthma, she has all these things that if you if you don't control those elements like heating, cooling, air quality, humidity, she'll have a hard time breathing or have a hard time thinking. You might you might be more lethargic because maybe there's not enough air getting in the room. That's you need to control that so that you can keep people healthier, think clearer, especially now that people are working from home a lot more. You know, you don't you don't expect people to go out and make all these renovations to their home for air quality but you should if you're spending 40 hours a week working in it and then an additional however else is how my however many hours left in the week you're going to spend at home probably right so you know it's definitely something that should be considered i did mention earlier that most homes are heated with gas right Mm -hmm. or maybe they have a fireplace or you have a gas stove or gas water heater uh, all of that requires clean air for combustion. So you need to be careful when you're building an uh, airtight home because if you don't have enough air coming in, A, your combustion is not going to be very good, but also B, the fumes might stay in your home. Like some of the vents uh, that I've seen on these systems are not mechanically expelled, meaning there's no fan blowing the fumes out. It actually just works on... Convection? Convection, right. So the hot air is going to... There's a vent at below the exhaust point, and the exhaust goes into a tube. And as it goes up the tube, it pulls in that air from that vent point past the exhaust point and then carries it outside. Like but a if there's chimney. No, like a chimney. So yeah. if there's no makeup air, is what they call it in building science, if there's no makeup air coming in, that convection is not going to happen, and you're going to have that fumes and toxic gas spilling back into your house. So... And that's also why, like, fireplaces in older houses, the rooms on the outside perimeter get colder Mm because it's, like, pulling in air from the outside. Mm -hmm. Exactly, because that fire... correctly, right. Yeah, it's consuming oxygen, and it's pulling oxygen in through those leaks. So that's why things like fireplaces, honestly, any gas combustion component devices, those should just be done away with in homes. You should be running on pretty much electric everything. Electric's more efficient anyway. When you have 
I mean, heat pumps for heating and cooling are better than 100% efficiency. They're like 130% or 120% efficient because of the uh, law of science that they're playing with. I forget. But yeah, so if you, like right now, we're using our electric fireplace more than we're using our propane heater because gas prices are going up and our propane heater is probably only 75, 80% efficient. You're losing a lot of heat to the outside, but an electric fireplace, there's no combustion and all the heat is getting put directly into the house. You know, one kilowatt of power equals one kilowatt of heat expelled into our house. So it's 100% efficient. It's one-to-one, -one, very good. But if, you know, if you build homes better, you shouldn't have to heat that much anyway, right? Like, you're like, oh my God, electricity is expensive. Well, I mean, if, if you can heat your whole house with the same amount of wattage as a hairdryer because you built your home with proper building materials, air tightness and all that, then you don't have to worry about costs that much. And that, you know, the grand scheme of things when it comes to this is not, is not just like you're saving money in the short term. You're more comfortable, you're healthier. And think about the lower impact on society, right? Like think about the grid. You don't have all these trucks carrying around fuel to your homes or all these pipes that could potentially fail in the ground, which takes maintenance to bring fuel to your homes. Uh, think about the power grid. Let's say you're heating your home with electricity. You know, you don't need 10 hair dryers to heat your home now. You only need one. And so you don't have to maintain or use as much copper in the, the power grid. It's more electricity like, for the Teslas. More, yeah, more electricity <laughs> for the Teslas, dude. So you think about that. Like when you're building a home, you need to think about who... I know that obviously not everybody's going to be able to build a passive house is what they call it. Basically, you generate and use the energy that you have on the property. So all of the energy you use, you regenerate with solar or whatever like you do you're not and you're there's no load on the grid at all it's just your house is self-sustained which is something i'd like to build but you know best bang for your buck if you can get your air exchanges per hour down to one you can still use materials like fiberglass and all that it might not be the best but you know it's a lot better you know if you're getting the 80 20 rule right if you're getting 80 80 percent of the benefits with 20 percent of the cost that's that's good do that I'm just saying when you're when you're building a house, keep these things in mind or when you're making renovations to your house, keep these things in mind because little things add up when it comes to home efficiency and it's going to end up making the world a better place, making your comfort a better place and uh it'll cost you more uh, money in the long run too. Right, you're saving you're saving your wallet. <laughs> your wallet's going to be a little bit thicker at the end of the day. Yeah, it might be more upfront, but you got to think about the cost over time. Cost over time. For sure. Comfort over time. There's nothing better than spending 20% more and being 80% happier with <laughs> the purchase, right? If you, like when you penny pinch, you miss the grand scheme of things. So watch mm -hmm. out for that. Um, Anything else, Jay? You got any questions? Any questions about insulation? Or just like, not just insulation, but. So let's say you're doing a renovation to a house. What would you recommend? Yeah. And it has like a uh, fiberglass bat What's like the first thing you would look for to improve? It's a house that, all right, let's say 1980s house. You know that mm -hmm. there's fiberglass bats in the walls. What can you do to the home that's going to make it more efficient? But right. something maybe uh, you in can terms do of like Right, or in terms of either time or money. Okay. Uh, best bang for your buck mod for your house, I guess, for energy efficiency. Well, one was what we mentioned earlier, right? Um, go around your house and honestly peel the 
the window framing off. You might have to peel back the drywall a little bit. Look in between the windows and the doors, in between the framing and the windows and doors, because there's called a rough-in opening, which is where the structural portion of the house, the actual, it would be like, let's say 10, uh, no, it's too big. Let's say it's a four foot opening and then you have to put a window in there, but the window is only going to be three and three quarters foot, right? So you have a quarter, that sounds so weird to say, but let's just say you have like <laughs> a one inch gap around the window, right? Right. In, in between the framing and the window. If that's not spray foamed, you're going to have a lot of air leaking through there and nothing's stopping it. It's ab absolutely nullifying the value of the window. I had that happen in my house with my front and back door, as well as many windows in my house. You would walk by the door and it would feel like it was open. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Like <laughs> I actually can even do one better. I'll do one better. And that's something you can do without doing like a whole wall renovation too. Right, yeah, you don't like have to tear the whole wall It's just taking down. the window framing down. Yep. So. In a, in a, you can do probably, if you're not super crazy with the spray foam, you could probably do, and make sure you get the low expansion spray foam because high expansion will pop actually- Pop your window bow, out. <laughs> yeah, you'll not pop your window out, but it'll bow the window and it might make it harder to open and close. So make sure you use the low like window and door spray foam. But yeah, you can go and do that for maybe 10 bucks, which I think gets you two cans of spray foam your whole house you know and you don't have to do it all at once maybe do one door a weekend or one window or a weekend and, and just like slowly build up you'll notice less noise in your house and a little bit uh better thermal efficiency and that's not making your whole house super airtight either like your house probably still gonna leak but it's a big gap that you can you can fix another one which is even probably easier than that one that one's a little bit intensive as far as labor uh, go and adjust your doors. Go look at your doors. Uh, they sell a lot of products on Amazon that are like weather sealing for doors. And just kind of look around your door. See if you can see any sunlight. If you see sunlight around your door, try to, you know, adjust the door or add some weather stripping and make sure the door shuts and seals properly. That type of stuff is easy to do. Anybody can do it and super cheap. I think like some weather stripping might be like five bucks for a a roll that can do a whole door. Uh, don't quote me on prices, but <laughs> yeah, that's like easy, easy to do. And you're going to get a lot of comfort out of that. And I let's see, I got a really easy one, a medium easy one. What could be like if you really want to make a difference? Um, take your drywall down and spray foam the... <laughs> yeah, take, yeah, rip all your drywall down and spray foam everything. <laughs> uh, honestly, that's probably, unless you know... Um, where okay so penetrations in your house right it, anything that's like an outlet or a hose bib or anything like that just go walk if you have access to that stuff walk around and see if there's anything around sealing that area um because typically people don't understand building science and when they install an exterior outlet or a hose bib they don't air seal around it and so you'll have a lot of leakage going through those points it's not good it's not fun um, but other than that, yeah, you're going to end up having to get pretty in-depth with your renovation. So don't. <laughs> you could, uh, yeah, no, you just, it's going to get expensive <laughs> and labor-intensive quick. But As all things those, do. Yeah, but those small mods you can do for cheap. And and if you, you know, even if you don't own the home, maybe you just want, you know, you're going to be renting there for a while. Uh, like the adjustment to the doors and stuff, as long as it's not causing any damage, that's like nobody's going to. Give you a hard time about that. So if you own a home, 
and you have an attached garage. I would spend some time trying to make that that garage wall as airtight and insulated as possible. And that's not that's more of a health health announcement than it is a energy efficiency. Because there's so much bad stuff in garages, car fumes, gas, whatever, and garages aren't that insulated. You really got to make sure the wall in between the home and the garage is well air sealed so you, you're not getting that stuff in the house. Watch for penetrations, adjust the door, all that stuff. That was a long one, and that was pretty much just me talking. Do <laughs> uh, you have anything else to say, Jake? No, I mean, I think uh, insulation is really important. It's something that I don't think a lot of people consider. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Down to the Frame podcast. We are very excited to start this new journey. We have a lot to talk about. Honestly, it's passion to talk about building. We've been in sort of the trades pretty much in or around it our entire lives. And it's very exciting to be able to talk about it in a dedicated space. Uh, Our future episodes are going to contain a lot of stuff uh, around projects, DIY stuff, how-to's. Um, building science. So we've got a lot coming up. We're going to be posting two episodes per month. Uh, look forward to those. And if you guys have any questions, contact us at downtotheframe at gmail.com. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. See you.